Good morning. It's good to see your faces. If you're joining online, I can't see your face, but I just know you're pretty as these folks right here in the room. So we're glad you're joining us as well. Uh, I want to end this series that we've been on today. Um, I've been feeling this sense all through this series about just getting God's church ready. Ready for what? Ready for this season that we're, we're in. You know, sometimes you just have to be ready for the season that you're in. And that's what uh, I feel like these messages have, have been all about. And so today, this final message has to do with opinions and authority. Opinions and authority. There is no shortage of opinions in the world. I got them myself. Uh, you just asked me. I've got an opinion about everything. Y'all have heard me say a lot of times opinions are like belly buttons, right? Everybody's got one. I've got an opinion about everything. You probably do too. And then you get on social media and you find all these opinions. And as I look at that, I say, God, there's so many opinions and views out there. But we are, we are missing something, God. What are we missing? And this word comes in. We don't have any authority. You got lots of opinions, but you got no authority. Wow, what if we had authority as believers in Christ? In fact, we do. <laughs> but what if we acted like it? What if we, we followed in that path? And, and so I want us to talk about this thing called authority today. And it can take a couple of shapes. It can take, we probably shouldn't even get some things confused. There's a difference between power and authority, right? Uh, a, a person, Wayne drives trucks for a living. Wayne can take his big semi and he can pull that thing sideways across a street and he can stop traffic. Why? Because that's a big truck and you can't get around it. That's, that's a power move. But then a highway patrolman can just stand in the middle of a street and do like this and we all stop. Why do we stop? Because he has authority. We know that there's something backing him that is not backing Wayne. We can, we can move Wayne's truck out of the road. But there is an authority. There's something behind this highway patrolman that allows him to stand with just his hand up and change things. Hmm. And, and, and so uh, then there's moral authority and there's spiritual authority and they connect. But I have seen people who are not Christians who do not have a walk with the Lord, and they carry a great deal of moral authority. They're good people in the sense that they follow the rules, they do what's right, they're ethical, they don't have a relationship with Jesus. It makes me very sad because I look at them and I say, my goodness, they're more ethical than the church. Wow, it makes me sad. And I'm like, imagine if they had a relationship with Jesus Christ, what that would be like. So you can have moral authority, you follow the rules, you, you obey the laws, and and, and you do the right things. You act with integrity. But that's not spiritual authority. Spiritual authority comes from heaven. And, and I want to talk about both of them today. And, and so I'd love for you to go over to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. And Proverbs, you know, occasionally you look at a verse and it's just there. It's like Solomon just plops verses in. And so a lot of times you don't have any context. And so in 
Proverbs 29, there's just these sort of random warnings and instructions that Proverbs is giving to us. And so within, in Proverbs 29, 2, it says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bears rule, the people mourn. Yeah. I'll read it in another translation. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. I love this image, that word rule or authority there in the Hebrew. It means to increase. What is this verse trying to tell us? It is saying that when the righteous people of a society set the tone for that society, it goes well for those people. And the more righteous people you have, you should assume the better it will go when they're acting righteously. So the righteousness is supposed to spread out. Many of us are praying and saying, Lord, I just pray you'll do something with the world today. And I believe the, the Lord would look back at us and He says, I absolutely want to and I want to do it through you. I want righteousness to increase. And I want it to increase through you. And when righteous people are in the right places, the people rejoice because it's good. It sets the right tone. There is truth and there is order and there are principles. And the people may not even know it, but they go, it just feels safe here. It, it just feels safe. But then turn that, and if any of you have ever been in positions or places where there are people ruling and there is no righteousness, it creates turmoil. It upsets everything. Something just seems to always be brewing under the surface that maybe you can't even put your finger on, but you're like, something's not right. So then we look at Jesus who I know of no one else who has any higher moral or spiritual authority than Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. I don't know of anyone else who has any more authority than Him. And so if you'll turn over with me to Matthew chapter 7, and as you look at Matthew chapter 7, I want to tell you about these couple chapters. So Jesus begins this early sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. You ever heard of that? Sermon on the Mount. All right, it covers... Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's very long. And in fact, I recommend if any of you have been sitting there going, you know what, I need to get back in the Bible and I just don't know what to read or where to go. Rather than just plop that thing open and point your finger to something. Now, some of y'all have done that. Because y'all tell me. And I tell y'all that's not a good strategy. It's not a good way to do it. I recommend you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And when you get to the end of 7, and the preaching is concluded, it says in verse 20, uh, 28, it says, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When he gets done teaching, the people go, wow, that man has something. They didn't really know who he was right then. Didn't necessarily know that he was the, the Messiah, the chosen one. They just hear him start preaching and go, ooh, he's different. What's different? Well, the scribes that they talk about, the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders of the day, and they teach the Word, but when they teach the Word, they explain it by referring back to another teacher. 
oh, Rabbi so-and-so used to say. They, like quoting people, like we do today. They would, they would quote people. But if you look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't say, Rabbi so-and-so says. Jesus looks at him and says, I, I wrote it down in my Bible because it happened so many times. I said, how many times does he do this? In Matthew chapter 5, there are six times where Jesus says, you have heard. He said, those scribes, you've heard them say. But then he follows up with that and he says, but I say to you. <laughs> but I say to you. Now those religious leaders, they put their hands on their hips. I could just see them. Put their hands on the hips and went, now who does he think he is? Who, who does he think he is saying, I say to you. <laughs> Little did they know it was the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Kings that had full authority to say, you know what they've told you? Mm -mm. Let me tell you how it really is. Yeah, and, and that's why I want you to read it because he says, they've, they've talked to you about murder. Let me tell you about what murder is. They've talked to you about adultery. Let me tell you what adultery is. They've talked to you about what an eye for an eye, uh, an eye, for an eye tooth for tooth is. Let me tell you what that means. And when he gets done, the people stand back and go, wow. There's something about Jesus that draws people in. So from the outside, I've just picked, have you ever pictured yourself there just listening to Jesus speak? I think that there are times you ought to put yourself into the stories of the Bible. And as I put myself there and I'm just listening to him teach, I want to just be like one in the, in the crowd. And there's some things about Jesus that you would begin to see right away. And that is that there is an alignment between his talk and his walk. That's critical to authority. <laughs> that when, critical to authority is this. When they watch Jesus, they say there is an alignment between his talking and his walking. That what he says and how he says it is how this man lives. You don't know that, but that's building authority. When you align talking and walking. And, and not only that, but he aligns his convictions and his behavior. There are a lot of us who have convictions about things, but we can't seem to walk them out. You know, we, we know certain things are right. We're convicted that those things are true, but we struggle to walk them out. But when they look at Jesus, they say, wow, there's perfect alignment there. That, that his convictions of what he is preaching about is exactly the way he's walking, and they're drawn to him. But there's some stuff going on under the surface that I don't know if you have ever seen that I want you to notice today is things that they could not have put their finger on that is giving Jesus the kind of ultimate authority, spiritual and moral, that I believe we're supposed to walk in. And I want to draw your attention to those. So I'm going to take you to some scripture. Is that okay? I think we're going to have it up here on the, on the screens as well. Here's some things going on underneath the surface. In, in John chapter 17, that's the... Uh, the prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And here is part of that prayer in John 17, 21. He said, I pray then that we will be one. This is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, Father, I'm, uh, that I pray that these disciples will be one just as you and I are one. Jesus says, I'm one with the Father. Part of one of the keys to authority is being united with God the Father. If you are not united with God the Father, you're not going to have authority. 
God says, I want these disciples to be united with me because, Father, I am united with you. And if they're united with me, then they're in you. And then we're all united. It just kind of gets all happy, right? That we're one. We're one with Christ. We're one with God. And it's out of that unity that authority begins to build. John chapter 5, verse 30. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, I seek not my own will. <laughs> hmm. Anybody ever struggle with that? Getting past your own will? Andrew Murray, guy wrote a great uh, book on prayer. He says one of the hardest things to do when you pray is to get your will out of the way. To where you can say, God, your will be done. Father, your will, not mine, your will be done. What does it say, John 5.30? I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. What does that mean? That Jesus is submitted to the Father. He is conformed to the Father. He's yielding to the Father. And so there is this posture of our hearts. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's a, it's a heart posture that says, God, whatever you want. It's just like Jesus praying in the garden. It's like, I got some things that I want. I got some ways that I would want to work this thing out. But I'm going to set those to the side. And, and, and Father, I'm going to listen to you, and I want to hear what you have to say, because I just believe that your will is better than my will, and so I'll submit my will to yours. Yeah, you see, you got to get to that place, though, that you have enough trust in the Father that you say, I've got a will, but I'll submit it to yours, because I think yours is better than mine. Yeah. So we're united to the Father. We're submitted to the Father. And in Philippians 2.18, I can't get away from Philippians 2.8 right now. Philippians 2.8. Man, these verses. Let me get over there with you. Philippians 2.8. He's talking about the life of Jesus in verse 7. It says, but he emptied himself. In fact, let me go up a little bit higher. It says, have this attitude in yourself. Oh, that's good. I'm going to look at you right now and say, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of God. Here it is. Being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Everybody say obedient. That was good. Being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You cannot get authority Unless you have obedience. And how many times do we struggle with obedience? <laughs> Here is the perfect example. Obedient. And I love that it makes this distinction. Because you're like, well, how much obedience? <laughs> how, how much do I have to obey? We do that sometimes, right? Like, well, how far do, do we take that? I love that Paul went ahead and said, let me tell you how far you need to take obedience. That Jesus did it even to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
There was no place at which he was willing to say, Mm-mm, sorry, can't do that. God, I was good up to there. Like, like we were good right up to the cross, but that's too much. That's too much to ask. Now, what is Jesus? He's obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then there's this one last thing I want to bring up as I was prepared and praying this morning is that authority comes from taking responsibility for things. Parents have responsibility because uh, they have authority over their children because they take responsibility for them. That's what gives us authority. Leaders in business should get their authority not by the title that comes before or after their name, but that the fact that they have taken responsibility for the safety and the welfare of the people that they lead. Now, that's good leadership. It has nothing to do with how many little things you got off after your name. It has nothing to do with the fact that you can tell somebody you signed the bottom right-hand side of their check. Some of y'all get that later. You got it. Where does authority come from? It comes from the fact that somebody has taken responsibility for the welfare of someone else to look out for their best interest. That's why when Jesus moved so many times, you, it says, and he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Where does his authority come from? That he has compassion for the people around him. He wants the best for them. So he's operating in love. Whew, now let's talk. We got the scripture in place. Can we talk? Here's how authority works. God the Father has a will to be done on the earth. And Jesus begins to partner with God so that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When he begins to partner with God for the Father's will to be done, the Father then unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit to make it so. You see me wait right there? I had to wait right there, Tanya, for everybody to catch up. That was good. That was good. I'm hoping I can do it again. I don't know if I can. I'm going to try to say it again. The key to Jesus' authority to where he could speak, it's like, how does he just speak and something happens? It, like, changes things. How does, how does that work? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's how it works. The Father had a will to be done on the earth. Jesus' heart was to partner with God. So his heart posture is, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. As soon as he partners with God, God then releases the power of the Holy Spirit to make whatever it is that Jesus says happen. Wow. I set y'all up though. I set you up because here's the thing. If you have partial submission and partial obedience, you cannot expect full authority. Ooh, I, I rest my case. If I was a lawyer, I'd just sit down right there and I'd say I've made my case. That's the problem. Therein lies the problem. You want to know why 
we don't have authority. It is because more often than not, we are partially submitting, partially obeying, and yet wanting full authority. And God looks at us and He says, I can't trust you. I cannot trust you to release the power of the Holy Spirit because you don't even know what I want. You don't even know what I want done in this situation. You just want me to do what you want. Oh, he said, I can't trust you. He said, I, I, I can't trust you because, because I, I can't trust you to fully obey. Because there are times when Jesus obeyed and it was tough. It cost him something. If you're going to obey God, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you potentially your reputation. It's going to potentially cost you influence with the world. It could cost you money financially and resources. It could cost you your life. We don't even want to talk about that in America anymore. Because for us, if it just gets a little bit inconvenient, we're out. Like, nah, I'm just, yeah, I'm good. That's inconvenient. I'm out. And then we sit around and we say, I don't know why God doesn't move. I don't know why I pray and things don't happen. I don't know why the world is the way that it, that it is. Could it be that we are partially obeying, partially submitting, not all that concerned with being united with God and yet expecting full authority? That'd be a good place for us to repent, wouldn't it? <laughs> you see, that's why our authority in life is kind of spotty. Can I say it that way? It's kind of spotty. You know what I mean by that, right? There are some places where you, you know you're walking in some authority. That you, that you have submitted to God, your will. You are obeying God. You are united with God. And in those areas, you have authority. People will listen to you. You can speak truth in those situations. You can rearrange things, if you will. But then you can walk over into a, just right over across the way into another situation, and you have absolutely no authority. People look at you and go, kind of like the Pharisees, who do you think you are? Like, who? Who do you think you are giving me advice? Like, who, who do you think you are telling me what to do? Our authority is spotty. And if we want to get it more consistent, then there's some work to be done. And it's the work of yielding ourselves to God and being obedient so that God can move through our lives. And, and when God did all those things, he began to, to bring things into alignment with God. He, he, he looks over the sick and he makes them well and he brings it into alignment with God. And the hungry get fed and the lost gets found and the, the slaves get pulled out of captivity and set free. Jesus is moving about just setting things into alignment because he's working in obedience and submission to God the Father. And it's a, a beautiful thing. And people saw it and went, wow, that's amazing. And we don't have to look at that and think, wow, that can't happen to us because it can. It can. We're supposed to move in that kind of authority. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And, and, and so... 
I want to just talk about a couple things, how you'll know when somebody is moving in godly authority. Moving in godly authority versus some other kind of authority. Because let me tell you, there is an authority structure on the earth, and it is led by the kingdom of darkness. And it's an illegitimate authority. It is an authority that Jesus waged war against, this illegitimate authority. How do you know when you're looking at the authority of the kingdom of God versus the illegitimate authority of Satan? One is, wherever there is godly authority, there is freedom. There is freedom. Wherever there is illegitimate authority, it's controlling. You see, because God's not in control. So whoever that person is has got to keep everybody doing the right thing, saying the right thing. they got to keep their thumb on their kids. Uh-oh. I'm going to say that again. You hear it. Got it parents, you got to keep your thumb on your kids. You can't give them any freedom. Why? Because God's not in control. You are. <laughs> you are. And you got to control the situation in order to make people do what you want them to do. Jesus sets them free, and they do what he wants them to do. Ain't that something? that's, That's the right time to use the word ain't. Ain't that something? That in the kingdom of God, Jesus sets people free, and they turn around and do exactly what he wants them to do. That doesn't happen in the worldly authority. Freedom is one way. Let me tell you about this too. Mm. You think witchcraft is all about like hocus pocus and all that stuff? Mm -mm. Let me tell you. Christians can be involved in witchcraft as much as anybody else when they are trying to manipulate and they are operating in areas that they have no business operating in. Like, you know how you want to run over and tell somebody something or correct something or use the Word of God against something, and you don't have any authority there, but you decide you're going to go anyway? Yeah, that's witchcraft. Yeah, you are trying to control something outside of the will of God. And there are people who like to shepherd sheep, but they ain't no shepherd. Where does ain't keep coming from? I got to get rid of that. Kara, I'm sorry. She's a teacher. I'm sorry for the grammar. It is amazing how many people will tell the church what to do. And I want to look at them and I want to go, how many of those feet, those sheep have you fed? Huh? How, how many of those sheep know your voice? How, how many of those sheep have you stayed up at night with, on the phone, crying with? And yet somehow you think you got the right to tell the church what to do. Can I tell you that Kevin does not have the right to tell the church what to do? But I can earn some authority in your life if I speak the truth, if I walk out what I talk, and if I feed you well, and I love you well, and I tend to you, and when you run off, I go get you. If I do all of those things, then at some point, I'm likely to earn a hearing before you that you would say, Kevin, what should I do? And at that moment, if I use my authority in the right way, I'll not use it to advance my kingdom or my own pocketbook 
or my own accolades, but I will use the authority that God has given me to set you free so that you'll want to do what God wanted you to do to begin with. And that's something that people are looking for. They're like, what's in it for you? What, what's your angle? What, why are you doing all this stuff? You can imagine them looking at Jesus going, what's his angle? I, I know what the religious leader's angle is. They're always trying to line their pockets. What, what's he up to? I remember Chris Gaddy and I were in a meeting one time. We were introducing the very first I-58 house. It was before there was a blue I-58 house. It was just a vision, a dream on a piece of paper. And we met in the neighborhood that we wanted to put it in, and we submitted it to the neighborhood association. And at the end, the very first question that came to us was this. So, what's in it for you? And I thought that was a brilliant question, and it needed to be asked. Can I tell you that the question, what's in it for you, should be asked? In fact, of all the stuff you're doing in life, what's in it for you? Of all the things you're doing, what's in it for you? Why are you doing it? What's in it for you? Before I even spoke, before Chris Gaddy even spoke, someone stood up and they came to our defense. And it wasn't a hostile question. It was legitimate. But this person, they said, I don't know, but here's what I do know about them. They've been ministering into this neighborhood for several years now. And they've worked on houses and they've, they've fixed houses and they've, they've done things in the neighborhood. Um, they've worked with the Finley Association and they've done some things there. And I have never seen them do anything for their own personal gain. They really have come here in order to serve the people. Wow. I'm like, God, that was a better answer than I had. <laughs> Do you know sometimes that if you just do the right thing, you don't have to defend yourself? Yeah, people will run to your defense. They'll defend you for them. That question, what's in it for you? It was a legitimate question and someone else answered it. We didn't even have to answer it. And then another question that comes along is this. Okay, well good, your intentions are good and you want to serve people and you're doing it out of heart of compassion. Are you going to stay? Of all the good that you're trying to do in different places, are you going to stick with it? That person that you are trying to influence their life, are you going to stick with them through the good and the bad? I just did a wedding yesterday. I love that part. Through the good and the bad. Through sickness or in health. I love those phrases. They are beautiful to me. Godly authority says I'm in it. I'm in this thing the distance. If you need me, I'm coming, and it will be there. How long will you stay? There are too many times we have bright ideas, and we want to run and do something. When we started Ember, I said this. We're going to find a community. We're going to grow roots there, and we'll stay there until we see change. We're not going to hop around all over the place. Because I don't know if you know it or not, but Christians can have spiritual ADHD. We're like, oh, I got a God idea. And we run over here, and then, oh, I got another God idea. And we run over here, and, and then we run over here. And then about five years later, we get back, and we go, what did we do? What, what did we do? You know what the answer is? Nothing. You didn't do nothing. 
Because you never planted roots. You never let people know that you were in it for the, for the duration. They didn't hear like they heard from, from God. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. They didn't hear that. So what is the... Well, I should say this. When you do all that, it gives you the right to confront wrong beliefs. It allows you to be able to speak into somebody's life. Tiffany, that you saw the video of earlier, has the authority... She might not even know it. Tiffany has the authority to speak into the life of an addict that I don't have. Because I don't know what it's like to be on drugs or alcohol. I don't know that part of things. And so when somebody starts talking to me about that, they're going down roads that I don't necessarily know. And when they talk about how hard it is, it really does seem hard to me. But Tiffany can look at them and say, yes, I know it's hard, but you can do it. There are plenty of people who have done it. It's not impossible. And quit lying to yourself and saying that it is. Now you look at me and you go, who does he think he is? And you know why? Because my authority's spotty right there. But Tiffany has authority because she's walked through it. And she can say, by the grace of God, I have a house. And I have a job. <laughs> I have money in the bank. And I never had those things. You can do it too. Come on, let's go. You see, authority gives you the ability to speak into your children's life. And they go, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Versus looking at us as parents and go, why do you always want me to do what you tell me to do and not what you actually do? Yeah, I'll leave that one. Hmm. So what is the goal of this authority? It is to spread that authority. It is to bring things into alignment wherever we go. How did I get that? Matthew 28, 18. Look at that. It's our last verse for the day. Matthew 28. Verse 18. And Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And what I want you to do now is to go and do all the things that I have taught you to do. And if you will do what I have taught you to do, you will also move in authority. In what area, whatever areas you are united with God, yielded and submitted to Him, and obedient to Him. And so the goal is that we begin to put things in order so that Brantley and I have a child and we want to try to raise Caden in such a way that he follows God and he does those things too. Now there's not two of those folks on the earth. There's three of them on the earth. Ha! And then when we leave this earth, he'll still be here, Lord willing. Yeah, do you see that, church? The reason that we help people 
come into the kingdom is so that however many people we have today and listening online, that maybe we'll get a few more. And maybe some of them will outlive the ones of us that are here right now. And they will continue the work so that there is a testimony of Jesus Christ on the earth until Christ returns. Oh, yeah, that would be good. I say amen to that too. So let's make this thing practical and then we'll end it up. I talked to you about Tiffany and addiction. Let's talk about poverty for a minute. Poverty is widespread in this community, is it not? We have free meals at our schools because everybody qualifies. The poverty rate is that high. What are we supposed to do? I think it's a church issue. I don't think it's a school issue. I don't think it's a government issue. I think it's a church issue. Because the church should have authority over poverty. But you know why we don't have authority over poverty? I'm glad you asked. Because we cheat on our taxes. And because we cheat people out of stuff. And we go to work. And and there's an agreement that we're going to do a certain amount of work for a certain amount of money. But in some cases, we don't do that certain amount of work, but we want that certain amount of money. So we're stealing at work. And we're stealing from God. Because we're selfish. And we want to know why poverty continues on the earth. And we want to blame the government and the governor and the president and the school district and everybody else. And the one person we will not look at is ourselves. And say, am I stealing? And if I am, I have got to move. What does it say in Matthew? It's right above Brantley's verse. It says that he would stop stealing. That he would work and have enough that he could give it away. The fix for poverty is generosity. And the church needs to walk in its authority. Hmm. There's chaos on the earth. Oh, Lord have mercy. It just seems like there's, there's this, this chaos and disharmony and there's disagreement everywhere. And we want to blame all kind of people. And I want to look at me because I'm supposed to carry the shalom of God with me. What is that? That's the peace of God. I'm supposed to carry the peace of God. That means, whew, have you ever seen that? When a person of peace, a man of peace or a woman of peace walks into a chaotic environment. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. They just start setting stuff in order. They just start speaking to things and chaos starts to diminish and disharmony starts to go away and disagreements begin to get reconciled. Why did that happen? Because a man of peace walked into the room. Yeah, there's still chaos on the earth because I don't think as Christians we have walked into those situations. You know what we do? We run from them. We do. We find bad situations and we try to get out of them. We ought to be like first responders. You know those first responders, right? At 9-11 when everybody else is filing out of those buildings, those men and women are running up steps with fire hoses, willing to give their life in order to save other people's lives. (laughs) The church ought to be first responders. Instead of running from chaos and confusion, we ought to be running in as the people of peace, making peace in those situations. When everybody else is fleeing, we ought to be running into them. I feel like I'm preaching to myself. 
Why is there so much murder in, in our society? And we've, we've seen murder in our own communities. And we look around and we say, you know what? The police department ought to do something. I, you know who I think ought to do something? <laughs> yeah. You're getting it. At least you're getting it. Yeah. The church. Because I don't think we have authority when it comes to murder the way that we should. And you know why? Because that Sermon on the Mount that I asked you to read about, he said, they have told you about murder. He said, but I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, you have murdered someone. How much anger does the church carry in its heart? How much killing does it do with our words? Ooh. I wonder if murder is allowed to run rampant across the earth is because the church has not taken authority to bring life, to speak life. And because of that, we have given way to the illegitimate authority of the kingdom of darkness to have its way on the earth. Hmm. One last one, and then I need to wrap this thing up. It's like every other pastor. I got two minutes. What does that mean? Who knows? <laughs> Dee's laughing. He's the only one that gets that. I got two minutes, Pastor D. <clears throat> Gangs. I'm, I'm very concerned about our children and the involvement in gangs. And I look at that and I say, wonder whose problem that is. Maybe it's the church that we were supposed to set the example of family. Maybe family is the thing that you get in a gang that you don't get when you don't have family. You get somebody to look after you. You get to be a part of something. You get to feel significant. And as the, the church has gone to where now, you know what? Our families are just as broken as everybody else's. Yeah? Is that we have to look at that and say, you know what? I think we have to bring family to the world. And in fact, maybe we have to bring family to some of those gang members. And to some of you and some of you who are listening, you might be sitting there saying, I don't want anything to do with gang member. Like if I even knew somebody was in a gang, I would run and go across the other side of the street and all that. And I would say, that might be the earthly thing to do, but that's not the spiritual thing to do. The spiritual thing to do would be a, to be a spiritual father, to be a spiritual mother. is to give this importance to the family of God to bring that back. The church is supposed to be a what? A family. The church is supposed to be a family too. And I believe as we do those things, that we would have authority to speak in those situations and to realign them. So, here is my question to you. Where do you have authority? Where do you have authority? Look over your life and see where is it that you're united with God. That you're submitted to God. That you're in obedience to God. Do you have authority in your finances? You go, oh Lord, no. Then maybe God is calling you to that area. To repent. What does that mean? To turn? See it the way he sees it? Yield, submit to him, become obedient to him? Where do you have authority? Where is it God is telling you? I've been struggling in my life, Kevin, in this area. <laughs> yes, probably because you have no authority there. What are you going to do to get it? Will you do the hard work? And then here's the thing. Some of you have authority. 
that might be the worst tragedy of them all. (laughs) I think I'm more upset with those of us who are walking around with authority and doing nothing with it. That grieves me. Like for the person who doesn't have authority, I want to walk up to them and say, look, I got some old worn out tools. Let's just bend down and let's start building. You know, but to the person who has authority and you're in the room, you have authority because you've walked in family. You've walked in finances. You've walked in peace. Why are you not saying anything? Oh, huh? Oh my goodness, where you have authority, why are you being silent? And you're saying, well, there's so many opinions out there. I know, and we need authority. Was I jumping? I was jumping. Yeah. And you say, but I don't know how to do that. Do it just like Jesus did. Do it with humility. It was that he humbled himself, remember? That he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. And so I just want to say to some of you, you have earned the authority to speak. Please speak. You have earned the authority to rearrange certain situations. Rearrange them. You have earned authority to speak truth and to do it from a position where people look at that and go, can't argue with it. That's exactly how they live. Yeah. Wherever you have authority. (laughs) Yeah, God help us. To use that authority to realign some things. Yeah. Chris, will y'all come sing that last song? I want you to sing that last song. And I want us to spend some time on that. And then I also, there's something else that I think we need to do. As they're coming. Our, I did not plan this message around the events of this week in our community. When I started to preach on authority, it was already in the books. But some of you have have heard some situations that have gone on with elected officials. And I just want to say this. As the church of Jesus Christ, we ought to be instruments of healing. We need to be instruments of healing. We do not need to be the ones that are running our mouths and perpetuating gossip And all those kinds of things. We need to be instruments of healing. We need to be the ones who are going out. And we're speaking life. And we're speaking hope. And we're speaking truth. And I want to encourage you to do that. Because this stuff's going to happen on those micro levels, those little small conversations that you're having at work when you get to work on Monday morning. Did you hear what happened? Ooh, did you hear what happened? Somebody needs to say, yes, I did. And you know what? Our community needs restoration. Our government officials need restoration. We need restoration. God, heal us. Yeah. I I want us to just pray for our community. Because I believe what God is doing is that He's actually healing our land. I believe that He's bringing healing because that's what He does. That's what He wants to do. And I just don't want to be operating in the authority of the kingdom of darkness. I want to line up with God on this thing. Yeah? And I, I want you to as well. So let's get our hearts right so we can line up with God on this thing. Okay?
Yeah, y'all sing. We're going to get our hearts right. Even me. I, I want to be the first one. Now, you don't have to come down to the altar, but I think you ought to create an altar in your hearts.